So um, Luke 17, verses 20 through 21, says this. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them. The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And then a counter uh, translation, new, uh, the King James Version says it this way. Neither shall they say, lo, here, or lo, there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. You may be seated. I've got uh, I think uh, four points I want to make today. Get my page order correctly. Anyway, however many points I've got to make, uh, I hope they all come across all right. The kingdom of God, I think what we take from Jesus' words, is surely invisible. It's invisible. He says that there, behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And uh, the thing we should be able to come away assuming is that he's saying it's already here. They're looking for it. It's already here. Some people do measure... Uh, whether God's kingdom has arrived or has had success by what they see, you know, by, by whether there are people in power at the time, maybe, who uh, rule according to his laws, who do righteous things. They think if godly people, for instance, get elected or ascend to a throne or revolt and then establish good laws and rules, that that's a sign that God is having his way, that his kingdom is on the uptick. Contrarily, you know, people like the Pharisees perhaps would have been, they think if bad people govern and bad rules and, and laws exist, that things are upside down and that God has lost his grip And his kingdom is beginning to decline. They measure the kingdom of God by what they see. But I fear they're looking on the surface. On the surface. And the best work is underneath. The Pharisees coming to Jesus wondered when. When Would a good king, the Messiah, come and establish and enforce upright laws in the land and for the people? When? They were under the presumption that it would take Messiah ruling visibly, of course, on earth for the kingdom of God to be established. Some think that way today, unfortunately. Jesus did not share that view. He told them the kingdom of God would not be established by an earthly government at all. 
He said that the kingdom of God had already been established. It had begun already, and they were living in the midst of it. Oh, that the church would understand that better. The kingdom is invisible like God the Spirit. He regenerates people to have faith in Jesus Christ. We only see the effects. The person changes his ways. He begins to talk differently. He's a better man than previously. And that same person, over the course of time, as you might expect, he begins to affect other people by his faith. Even institutions like art or entertainment or business or education, governors, governments, certainly if you have a lot of people affected this way by God's Spirit, changing them and, and reconstructing them according to God's Word, the more people God regenerates, the more thoroughly things change. So you do not see the kingdom of God coming, but but you get to see the effect of it. Like Jesus said, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So when I became a Christian, going to college and living with my grandparents in Superior, Wisconsin, it was an invisible act of God on me. I described it last time as best I could. I just knew my reason for living had been changed up there. I'm not going to go back into the house metaphor. I talked about us being like a house. I think that was helpful. But I'll simply say, I was no longer living alone and for myself, determining my own rules. And, and at the time, I was, I was not sure who else had experienced this thing, this restarting of my life. I kind of thought my mom might have experienced it, this born-again thing. Billy Graham, too, because I I went and checked out a book he wrote, I think, called Born Again. (laughs) So I'm assuming, you know, he... And apparently Hal Lindsey was born again based upon a misguided book that he wrote that I read because it was very popular at the time, the late great planet Earth. But it was Hal Lindsey who kept hearkening back and back again to how he knew he would be with the Lord when he died. And I didn't, certainly didn't have that assurance at that point in my life. But again, since the kingdom of God is invisible, 
I could only go on how I thought people were different. I knew my mom became a different woman when she started attending Al-Anon. Al-Anon's a support group for people who are in relationships with people who drink too much, I'd like to say. My mom began acting differently. They tell you to call upon your higher power in Al-Anon and in Alcoholics Anonymous. And her higher power was the God we apparently went and worshipped on Sunday. So she did. Something changed in her. She began acting differently. I remember I wasn't there. I mean, I wasn't at that place then. I was a kid. But she started talking about God more, became too nice. It, It was convicting and annoying. But there in college now that I'd been renewed or restarted or regenerated, I thought maybe this is what happened to her. So maybe my mom, Billy Graham, and Hal Lindsey are Christians. Otherwise, I don't know if I know any. It wasn't too long before I ran into people who spoke the language. Hmm, what was that? The language of living for God and no longer only for yourself. I remember the first time I was sitting in a study room at college and I overheard people talking at a table nearby around the divider. They were talking about Jesus and the Bible and probably the end times. Whatever it was, I just remember walking up to the table and asking, are you guys born-again Christians? I kind of knew I had to call it that, born-again Christians. I probably wouldn't even use the same language today if I were talking to people. Not that it's bad language. But I knew I kind of had to call it that and not just say, are you Christians, but are you born-again Christians? Because I think many people assume that they are Christians simply because they, they grew up going to church or were baptized as babies, or, or had that little closet in their house I mentioned last time, their Christian closet in, in their internal house that didn't even have Jesus in it. All my life before this, I would have answered, yes, I'm a Lutheran. That's how I would have answered that question. Are you Christian? Yes, I'm a Lutheran. So when I asked, are you born-again Christians, I was trying to get past the shallow answer. Let me just put it like that. I wanted to know, was the kingdom of God going on inside of them? Were they living with God and for God? I, I think they first thought I had approached them to persecute them. It was kind of funny, right? There was a burly kind of motorcycle guy, longer hair, was blondish, full beard. And he kind of went back on his heels a little bit. I mean. But he's the one who answered me, and he told me, yes. And he asked my name. I told him my name and what had been going on in me. And after that, well, I was on my way. 
meeting people, going places, learning how to live for God with a community of people, not just by myself. But all of this was happening off the radar, without fanfare. No newspapers reported it. Can you believe it? Not a single news article. No government permission was sought. That's just so silly. Point two. The kingdom of God develops in response or when we respond to the word of God. I've said many times that Christ's kingdom advances due to two things. His Holy Spirit and God's word. Period. It's Jesus' words to the Samaritan woman. He said, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 54 says it like this, listen for it. What do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Church? Question. Answer. I believe that the Son of God, through his spirit and word, out of the entire human race, from the beginning of the world to its end, gathers, protects, and preserves for himself a community chosen for eternal life and united in true faith. And of this community, I am and always will be a living member. I'm for that. And though life is filled with many alternatives, distractions, theories, families, lovers, friends, enemies, hobbies, work, programs, religions, philosophies, etc., Still, you need to grow and mature as a person, but only by completely relying upon God's Spirit who causes us to want to obey God's Word. And you, you make a difference for the kingdom of God when you depend upon Him and conform yourself to his word. This I discovered is what life is meant to be about. Period. Nothing else. Before he opened my eyes, my eyes were only upon me and my rules for myself. That is, as we said last time, Autonomy. Me deciding for myself right and wrong. But as P. Andrew Sandlin writes, autonomy is the original sin. Autonomy is the original sin. I needed God. 
and I needed his rules, his spirit, and the Bible. Jesus told us the way to succeed when God's word is presented to us. He did this in various ways. In one case, it was a a parable he um, told that Mark records in chapter 4 of Mark. It says, the sower sows the word. And then he talks about the different responses to God's word that people have and basically describes the different soil types, right? The sower sows the word, and and these over here are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these over here are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately received it with joy, hallelujah, and then they have no root in themselves but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, they fall away. So much for hallelujah. They fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Boy, can anyone do this right? But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. That's how you succeed. That's how his kingdom grows. So from the beginning of my new life, I kind of determined I wanted to conform my life to God's word. I wanted to question everything. How had I gone this far in my life, and yet I was so deceived? I learned I needed to change some practices as well. Not all at once. It wasn't like I knew everything at one moment. I didn't know all the things that needed to change in me. But God showed me, and people noticed. I want to encourage you, don't do things for people to notice, but people will notice. You do things because God wants you to be a certain way. So, though we talked about the kingdom being invisible, it was invisible, But in a sense, it was leaving a mark, the change in me. It was leaving a mark that other people noticed. I was excited with the good news. I'd fallen in love with God. I was learning how to be what he wanted. And I I didn't really care how people would respond. They were so secondary to me. I suppose I was a bit naive to the idea that my family and friends might not like what I was becoming and what I had to say. Was it even possible? They would stop liking me? It's me. I was dating that lovely woman 
who was just a girl at the time, for a couple years before this happened to me. And I needed to confess some sins as well as tell her there was a new sheriff in my life. That went okay. She got past it. (laughs) She heard the sins. She didn't really hear about the sheriff, at least not at first, right? And my dad, um, he had heard from my grandma that I was too preachy. I probably was. I probably said some things that I'd take back now. In any case, my dad was worried about me and called me on the telephone once because I was living up north still. And I remember I started to cry as I was talking to him, which made him even more worried. He felt badly for bringing it up. But I, I looked at my hand. I've shared this in the past. And if you look at your hand, and I, I saw my dad's hand. That's my dad's hand. And I'm talking to him on the phone, and I'm crying. And I wasn't crying. I told him, I'm not crying because you hurt my feelings. I was crying because he didn't know what I knew. Yes, the kingdom of God develops according to how people obey or disobey his word. And I remember God presented a big opportunity to me when I was just finishing up college, just finishing up school. It was my last trimester. That's how they did things up there. And I had to student teach because I went to school to become an elementary school teacher. And I say God had a big test for me, but at the time, and this is what happens, I did not see it as a big test from God. I just thought it was the unfortunate circumstances that I had to deal with. It wasn't at all, it wasn't at all God is trying to teach me to follow him. That wasn't what I was thinking. I knew I had to follow him, but what do I got to do with this here? And I'll tell you what it was in a second. Nonetheless, the question was, in this test, would I do right? It was a trial because... I might not have been allowed to graduate. And I'd already married Tracy, and we were living out that last trimester in my grandmother's upstairs bedroom. And we wanted to get about life. You graduate, you get a job. It was my student teaching assignment. I was placed under the tutelage of a fourth grade teacher. And she was fine. But on one occasion, she wanted me to prepare to teach a reading class. Some of you know this story. It was a story of an American Indian girl and her religion. And the questions at the story's end were designed to steer the class to appreciate all religions and to be accepting of them. No one religion is better than another. What would you have done? Come on. Really? I could have easily taught such a lie 
a few years earlier. Easily. But now, how am I to respond when I know Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Along with, okay, countless, countless other scripture passages that I might not have known, I'm sure I did not know at the time, about God being the one and only, and that all other gods are no gods at all. So I agonized. What was I supposed to tell this fourth grade teacher? And, and how would she respond if I refused to follow the curriculum? I told myself, I could work through the story, but then I had to be able to discuss it according to the scripture knowledge I had in me. I was not going to deceive these kids with the false teaching that all religions are fine, each to his own and so on. So I, I determined to tell the teacher my position and to pray to see what she would do. It was uncomfortable, very. But it was necessary for the kingdom and obedience. And therefore to my maturity. Now, I know, i just throw this out here. It's not in my notes. I know that we're confronted with these different opportunities in the workplace, going to school. And I, I would highly encourage you not to just go, well, I'll tell them what they need to hear. I'll do what they want to do, but I don't believe in it. Because the kingdom of God is in our midst. It's for these things that we have opportunity to say something and do something. And it changes people. She got mad at me. She did not think we could work together. She thought I was a condemner of people some sort of bigot. If I remember correctly, it was on a Friday, and she told me to take the weekend to think about it. <laughs> Great. I got to suffer this the whole weekend now, right? Shoot me and put me out of my misery today, please. But she needed that weekend too, maybe. And that on Monday, okay, on Monday we would see where I stood, where I stood. I prayed a lot that weekend. I didn't like the feeling. By Monday, her demeanor had changed, and she told me that she was going to respect my religion and teach the story herself to the class. At least she was being consistent, right? I was relieved and thanked her. 
But tentatively, I suggested that she should probably not teach it either. She did anyway. She responded the way she wanted to respond to the truth of God's word. And so did I. And I share that story because the kingdom of God was in our midst. God's word and spirit were there. I had decisions to make in response to his word. She had decisions in response to his word. The class of fourth graders would have decisions that they would make based upon what the two of us decided. All I could hope to do was to obey God myself in the position I was in. I was not the teacher of the class. These opportunities to respond to God's word happen all the time. The kingdom is in your midst. I remember an early conversation I had with a Christian bookstore owner where I decided not to take a job because they sold what? Rosaries. What's wrong with a rosary? It helps you pray. If that were all, I would have sold them. But a rosary... which includes in the use of them that the person would be praying to the Virgin Mary, I asked if I could work there and sell such an item. I wrestled with this. Could any good use come from rosaries? I even told myself, well, you could tie them around a tire and they give you traction in the snow. Nah, that wasn't going to do it. They would not hire me if I couldn't sell everything offered in the store. Okay. Find a different job. I want to say this to you. How you make decisions in these moments for God's word or against God's word determines also the path your life will take. It'll determine your calling in life. I read, just other myriad of examples here, I read, be fruitful to multiply and fill the earth. And so we, Tracy and I, determined, after some thinking on this, to leave the amount of children we had into the hands of God and that we would pursue having children. Nonstop. More than she ever wants to pursue it. (laughs) Just joking. I read, train up your children in the way they should go, and many other passages on the same subject, and we decided it would be best to homeschool. But we certainly assumed, whether homeschool or not, our children would only ever get a Christian education. Why? I did not want them concluding that they could worship at a totem pole and that that would be okay. I also had to decide I would not be willing to cover my mouth about things eternal, temporal, practical as an elementary school teacher. So I would not work in the government schools which are based on the religion of humanism. Oh, you could have good Christian teachers 
in a public school, right? Yes, but they have to do this when it comes to the really important things that kids need to hear. I wasn't going to do that. And on and on. The kingdom of God is in your midst. And it's not just the bigger decisions, of course. It's in the little everyday stuff. How you will respond to parents and bosses and pastors and presidents and your spouse. I felt the pressure. I went through it telling my Christian boss I would not travel for work on Sundays. Only to arrive somewhere two states away Monday morning ready for a sales conference. Sorry. Unless, try to work this out, I could leave Saturday and be in Indianapolis Sunday, rest, attend worship somewhere or other, in my own vehicle if necessary. wasn't trying to be all stick in the mud. But I was not going to travel on the Lord's Day until at least the Lord's Day was complete. I'd even go after the day ended at night, drive down in the middle of the night if I needed to. Wouldn't have to be that late, I guess. We have made as a family similar Sunday decisions regarding family get-togethers that would involve restaurants or having other people wait on us or entertain us on the Lord's Day. And you might think, you might think to yourself, oh, he misunderstands these things. He's taking this scripture verse too far. I would not have understood it that way. God's word doesn't say such and such. That's fine. You wrestle that all out, hammer that out with God, right? Because you'll stand or fall based upon how you make those decisions, just like I have had to stand or fall based upon how I understood his word and applied it. What I'm saying is this. You must respond to God's word in obedience, That is what he wants. This is how the kingdom grows. This is how you grow. A few more. He tells me not to neglect the gathering of the saints. So we go to church. Whether I feel like it or not, I go to church. I'll tell you, not just on Sundays when I preach, there have been many times where I didn't feel like coming to church. Uh, I think I just, I just, sorry, we go to church. He tells me that gossip and slander and backbiting are sinful. So we decide in our home, we can no longer do some of the things we have done. And I both try to to call it out and work on it when it comes to my own tongue, because we're not perfect at it. I've decided things on money on insurance, on debt, on child-rearing, caring for aged parents, the use of alcohol, male and female role relationships, language and vulgarity, limits of authority, limits on authority. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth has been the marching order. Point three. Glad I didn't tell you how many points. You think, boy, he's close now. I'm not not that close. I say four. 
The kingdom of God starts small, and it grows into something incredible. Like everyone else, I lived in the midst of the kingdom of God before I even cared about it. It was there. I didn't care about it. Then he introduced his word and himself, and he changed me. And in that seminal moment, a new creation began. Mark 4, 30-32 says this, And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can, nests, uh, can make nests in its shade. Now, I know how my life has gone and how it hasn't gone somewhat. But I definitely feel like the decisions I've attempted to make, God has used for his kingdom's purposes. And I do not understand how people, okay, Christian people, will attempt to limit, limit the application of God's word as it pertains maybe to others or to others outside of the church or outside of themselves. Like, okay, this is for me, but I'm not imposing it upon you. I would never dream of telling other people how they should live. It seems no matter what reasons you come up with for containing God's word and keeping it in a box, that good luck, as practically speaking, it can't be bound. It can't be bound. The minute I began to love and obey God, everyone around me was affected. My grandma, my dad, my girlfriend, my siblings, my friends, and that fourth grade teacher, all affected. The college kids sitting in that study room at, at college where that big burly guy was so terrified of me, he was affected. My boss, my children, now grandchildren and daughters-in-law, they're all affected. Employees and congregants, you're affected. And if I'm to believe that our triune God is God Almighty, the one only God of all, then my faith then my faith will and should pour out into everything and theirs onto me, yours onto me. This is what God wants. If I'm to be a salesman, then I'm to be a Christian salesman. And my work should conform to God's commandments. This becomes a benefit, doesn't it? To my customers. This becomes a benefit to my competition even. Otherwise, if I'm not doing things according to God's commands, they suffer my abuse or my neglect. Certainly, this is the case for each of us in our differing vocations. Are you not to pursue your work as God commands? Ask yourself that. Is not your daily work supposed to be done in the midst of the kingdom? What's the alternative view? What, what is the alternative? That somehow your work is not part of the kingdom? That your job and co-workers are outside of the midst of the kingdom? Are you going to somehow separate, what, the sacred from the secular? Or the spiritual from the material? 
if we start down that road, then can I be a Christian salesman and freely misrepresent products? Is that okay? Because it's in the realm of the secular, which doesn't really count. I think I'll do that. Maybe I'll do that. I'll get by with it for a while. Maybe make some big sales, but guess what? They'll figure it out. And my dishonesty will hurt me. If the marketplace is not subject to God's word, then maybe God permits me to ignore his word when applied to these secular situations. No, he doesn't. Banish the thought. What if you're elected to be the mayor of Waupon? Mayor of Waupon, or governor of Wisconsin, or U.S. senator. Do you now set aside God's word from your executive or legislative decision-making, your voting? Do you set aside God's word? What if you live in a country where you become the king? The king, okay? You say it, it shall be done. No parliament, king of Altovania. Are you supposed to rule and enact laws according to some other god? No. Oh, I get it. Are you supposed to rule and legislate with no religious sentiment whatsoever? Banish all religions. It's kind of what it seems like we're trying to do today. Or at least people advocate for it. Listen, God starts his work in you and bears fruit in you. Good luck containing it. You will never be given license to disobey his word no matter what he has given you to do. Point four. When speaking of God's word, and this is a little aside, you will see more clearly if you maintain his vocabulary. You will see more clearly if you maintain his vocabulary, which I guess I would say means you have to know his vocabulary. You have to be in his word or hearing it. I have learned that men and angels will mislead one another by using words that beguile rather than words that bring clarity. It's like propaganda, really. If you don't want to do something God has said, I'll guarantee you, there's a fine-sounding argument out there that will suit your inclination to disobey. Just look a little bit. You don't want to do something. You don't want to believe in something. Just give yourself a little time. The arguments are out there to support what you want. And sometimes these enchanting arguments, they move a country. They move whole denominations in time. Words carefully selected, put into sentences, cleverly crafted, and you can convince a mass of people, some claiming to be Christian, that killing unborn children is a God-given right. I know Christians, it breaks my heart that they think that this was a terrible, terrible thing the Supreme Court did. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that, I'm just saying. How does it get to that in their thinking? 
Well, because of the arguments crafted over history. Or that woman, women should be able to use the gift God has given them to pastor churches, just like men. Or that God has made every day alike. Therefore, you need not go to church on the Lord's Day. Oh, no, it can be whatever day. Of course, the disobedient act is not how these creative minds will present it. The words that get used are words like reproductive rights or a woman's giftedness or the Lord's Sabbath is all the time. Name some other of the 33 flavors of ice cream that people might want to buy and they'll, you'll come up with something. We're, we're very smart when we want something to go a certain way. We're very smart. You stay away from the language God uses and you can come up with some really intelligent sounding alternatives. It uses, it happens using positive words, like I mentioned, or negative words, okay? So if you don't like a scriptural idea, then you start talking about um, um, white male domination or patriarchy or repression or legalism and so on. We must speak with God's words if we want God's kingdom. I remember going to a conference many years ago, like 30 years ago. I was a fresher, younger Christian, and it was a conference that was supposed to teach us Christians who would really like to make a difference in the world how to become more politically and culturally effective. And I sat kind of dumbfounded there. Maybe I was too stupid. I sat dumbfounded as a qualified fellow stood at the podium and he told us, do not quote scripture or use words that are directly from the Bible. He said, if we use such language that we would be ineffective, we'd be written off in the public square. Hmm. My immediate thought was, you're not going to use the word of God and yet try to bring about the changes God demands. You've got to be kidding me. This plan does not sound like God's plan. He was the Christian, the, the political, legal expert, and yet his method was to say things the way the world would prefer to hear them. And since the movers and the shakers and the culture as a whole do not want to hear a blatantly biblical line of reasoning because they would roll their eyes and don't use one, he says. It's best, thought he, to utilize the language of society and argue according to science or societal ramifications or philosophy or this thing or that. But keep biblical motives undercover. That could be pragmatic in something or another for a time, but that is not a long-term solution. 
I tell you what, if you're going like, to be abusing your children or something, right, and I can steal them out of the house, I will do whatever, say whatever I need to say to get them away from harm, right, so to speak. But that's not the long-term solution, to do whatever to make it happen. That's a short-term solution. I don't believe this is God's method. I also don't believe it respects God or teaches the nations that they must respect him. What is it saying? You use his words, good luck with that. But that's what he says we need to do. This is his plan according to his power. You can build whatever other kingdom you want. I'm for building this one. And it might not happen tomorrow because you're using biblical language. That's okay. He's the builder, not me. You and I should be ashamed of neither. God's word or God's or God himself. We should obey both. As Martin Selbrady argues, we need a reformation of language to match reality. Did you hear that? We need a reformation of language to match reality. So what is reality? For most people, it's not the Bible and the God of the Bible. I agree with Selbrady. I learned... and continue to learn that this life is not about me, okay? I wish to build no other kingdom than the one Christ is building in the midst of us. That's what I want to commit to in here, in the church, in my family, in business, anything that I am a part of. And I pray the same is to be said for you. Let's pray. Lord, I pray and I ask a blessing upon this time. Too much time, uh, I'm sure. So, Lord, I pray that uh, we would be invigorated, um, that we would take it with us, but we'd also be prepared uh, for the supper. In Jesus' name, amen.